Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. So, praise the Lord. All right. Are we ready to resist the darkness this morning? Are we ready to participate in this beautiful resistance? I'm so excited. All right, here we go. This is what we've covered so far. Worship must resist idolatry. Where there is idolatry, worship has to step in as, as the resistance. Where there is hatred, there's got to be Christians stepping up and saying, hey, I'm going to love. I'm going to love until this hate fades, until it, it is defeated. And when there is a culture of convenience, when convenience is the thing that rules, that is priority number one, that is value number one, um, discipline must step up, right? And we have to say no to our flesh and say yes to the Lord. Are we ready to take up a fourth battle today? If you're ready, say, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Um, What sort of attitude would you say uh, someone had if they said things like this? Everybody's just selfish. You're not going to make it. It'll never work. You think it's going to be different for you? It's always going to be that life sucks. I heard cynicism. I heard negative, pessimistic. Exactly. Those are the three words I had written down. That's wonderful. (laughs) I love that. Three for three. (laughs) This morning, we're talking about cynicism. We're talking about cynicism. Cynicism is a pessimism about life. It's a pessimism about life. It's always thinking negatively. It's always fault finding. So it's when you have um, that habit of, of immediately when something is presented, you find a reason why it's not going to work, why the worst case scenario is going to happen, why things will go wrong and fall apart. It's the eternal arms crossed posture. Maybe you're sitting there with that right now. <laughs> I don't know about this. Where's he going with this? Not so sure. (laughs) Because of the suffering and the tragedy that we deal with, like this arms crossed posture is the default attitude by the time you grow up in this culture. Growing up means adopting this attitude. Um, In fact, the world will often view hope and optimism as naive and childish. Maybe you started off as a hopeful person. (laughs) Excited about life and about making a difference. All of these dreams, all of these ideas, all of these parties to plan. But then things get difficult. You experience disappointments. And those disappointments as they come, begin to wear on you. You start to put your guard up a little bit more. Start to hope a little bit less. Start to assume things are going to go wrong because you'd rather be pleasantly surprised, right, than caught off guard. I've <laughs> That resonates so much with me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to be caught off guard. I'm going to lower my expectations. I'm not going to hope because I don't 
want to be disappointed. That hard outer shell gets built up. Every failure and setback lowers our expectations a little bit more, and we begin to expect more and more doom until we're a full-blown cynic. (laughs) We can be swept away into a culture that has no hope about the future, right? A culture that believes there's no God. If you believe there is no God, you have no hope that justice will ultimately be done in every circumstance, right? If you believe that there is no creator, you have no hope for destiny and for a meaningful life. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Who's to say? If you do not believe that there is a redeemer, you have no hope that good can come from the most terrible circumstances. You can't sing this song of, of though you slay me. You can't sing this song of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that there is meaning in the suffering. I'm going to trust that, that there is a God that has my back, that, that this pain that I'm experiencing, the Lord's going to turn it into something good. You don't have that. All you have is cynicism. And if you believe that there is nothing after death, then it's just, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's soak up as much uh, temporal pleasure as we can right now. It doesn't matter, right? The world's posture is cynical. And that's the attitude you have when you have no hope, right? But Christians can be cynical too. Christians can be cynical too. We can be pulled away by the current of our culture and just go with the flow here and take on this negative, pessimistic attitude. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're immune to loss and to disappointments. It's going to happen. In fact, for the early church, it happened pretty intensely. You know, you're not immune to being thrown to lions. That was not in my notes. (laughs) Loss and disappointment can cause us to adopt the world's coping strategy, right? We can become cynical about things like prayer, right? After you've prayed for enough things that you you don't feel like turned out the way that you wanted to, right? You don't feel like the Lord's hearing your prayers because things didn't change the way that you wanted to. Right? You can become cynical when other people are up here worshiping and praising, being joyful, enthusiastic, because you're like, yeah, I know their life. Or, eh, they say that, but things aren't going to turn out well for them. You know? We begin to have a lack of positive expectation. And we begin to believe that this painful life here is all that there is. Our mind begins to be trained to pay attention to the darkness and to ignore the light. And just like the world, what you believe about God determines whether you're cynical or not. If you believe that God is an angry God, you're going you're gonna to slide right into cynicism. If you believe that God is distant, 
you're going to slide right into a pessimistic, negative attitude. If you believe God is unfair, you're not going to expect justice. You're going to expect injustice. If you believe God is powerless, you have no hope. What do you believe about God? And is it possible that the attitudes of cynicism that we have come from these beliefs that we have about who God is? God's people in Scripture would often become cynical. Um, Think of the Israelites having these conversations with Moses saying, boy, you should have just left us in Egypt. You brought us out here in the desert to die. You know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine like being Moses, like trying to lead a group of cynical people through the <laughs> desert, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, did you not see the waves that parted <laughs> that we just walked through? <laughs> like, can't you extend some trust and some hope here? <laughs> right. But what they get, what Moses gets is this attitude of cynicism from the people, right? Moses sends 12 spies out to go search the promised land that the Lord brought them to, right? And they see giants and they go, we're going to get squished like bugs. We should not be here. We should still be in Egypt. We've been led here to die. These are people that have seen miraculous provision, miraculous guidance, miraculous protection, right? But they, they still haven't met God. (laughs) They still haven't really seen who God actually is, because if they did, they would have trust in him. God's people are not immune to cynicism. There's a story in the New Testament. Um, Philip meets Jesus and goes uh, to tell Nathaniel about him. Philip says, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the one whom the prophets also wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says back, Nazareth? What good can come out of there? This guy has a negative attitude about people from Nazareth. (laughs) Hey, I was born in Ohio. Oh, I just lost half of you. Okay. (laughs) Set aside your cynicism about Ohio. Moving on. (laughs) How do we combat the cynicism of the world? How do we combat the culture? What needs to resist cynicism? Is it joy? Is it hope? John Tyson says that it's celebration. Celebration is explicit. It's defiant. It recognizes what God is doing and calls for a response. It's godly defiance in a culture of doubt. We often talk about the celebration of disciplines as a key to our faith. But could it be that that in a cynical world like ours, the key is not a celebration of discipline, but the discipline of celebration? Yes. Isn't that crazy? Bill introduced me to this book. Fantastic. Definitely read it. It's called A Beautiful Resistance. (laughs) Oh, 
The discipline of celebration is the act of intentionally turning our eyes from the darkness and looking to the light. That's celebration. It's retraining ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit to anchor ourselves in hope. Hebrews chapter 6 says that hope is an anchor for our soul, right? Your soul is a boat in the middle of the ocean, right? And this anchor goes down, right? Grabs a hold of something and it keeps you in place regardless of what the culture throws at you. That's resistance right there. That's something that's going to keep you steady. Celebration is the act of fervently acknowledging hope. I'm going to acknowledge that there is hope and intentionally reminding ourselves of reasons for joy. It's no accident that the bad guy in all of the Christmas movies is some guy like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Or the Grinch, right? Some guy with an arms crossed posture, humbug on his lips, right? Like, <laughs> and, then, and then what is the opposite of that? <laughs> it's Buddy the Elf, right? <laughs> like, let's celebrate. Let's have a Christmas party. Let's make cookies, right? That is the opposite of cynicism. The opposite of cynicism is celebration. Celebration is the most offensive act to the cynic, right? We think of all those movies, right? We think of those, those postures, this cynical person, right? Who just wants to say bah humbug to, to the whole world, right? Gets confronted in every street corner with somebody celebrating, right? And that just, right? But the flip side is also true. The most dangerous thing at a party is somebody with a cynical attitude, right? <laughs> there's a resistance. There's, there's an opposition there. There's a battle there between celebration and cynicism. You, you, you have to choose. Either your heart is celebrating or your heart is cynical. There's this inter interesting moment in the book of Job. Job is complaining about his life, listing off all the terrible things. And he gets to this point where he's, oh, celebration must resist cynicism. <laughs> the title. <laughs> That's page two. <laughs> Job gets to this point where he says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep at rest. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Right? He's saying, I, I, why am I even alive? But the Lord steps in and responds to him 35 chapters later. <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> oh, that was a typo there. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Where were you when I laid the, the earth's foundation while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Celebration, right? Like that's the Lord's response. Not just like I am more powerful and I know more than you, but like, hey, like 
all of the world is celebrating the good, my goodness, <laughs> you know, and my power and my creativity with creation, right? The stars are singing and the angels are shouting for joy and you are sitting there and you are criticizing, right? That's, that's the comparison. And why, why is it that the Lord brings this up? It's because our view of God and who he is determines what our attitude is going to be. Job's eyes were not on the, the all-wise creator of the universe, right? Who's in the middle of, of a, a throng of joyful angels. Let's go back to this chart here. What if we replaced these ideas about God with the truth of who God actually is? Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Lord sings loudly <laughs> loud like he's got the still small voice that you know he's got some loud singing too that's super cool <laughs> i uh i was talking to a um hebrew professor of mine um in college and he pointed to this verse and say some translation says that he whistles over you um <laughs> wild like that's that's joyful <laughs> that's God's not stuck in this like angry God mode, right? Like that's not who God is. God is surrounded by joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And what, that's good news. And that leads to celebration. That's something to celebrate. Our God is joyful. Our God's happy and he's singing over you. Ah! The first few chapters of Genesis is about a good God creating out of uh, out of joy and delight. Everything he says, it's good. It's good. Hey, that's good too. That's good. Like that's what he says to like everything he makes. It's awesome. Next verse here, First <laughs> John 4. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, uh, know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is good. This is good. This means God's a loving God, right? And that leads us to celebration. Deuteronomy, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He's a just God. And that's something to celebrate, right? That's something that resists cynicism. John 5, Jesus said, my father is always working. And so am I. He's an active God, right? He is working. He's not asleep, right? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God is in control. God is in control, and that can lead us to celebration. 
It's good news. If you are a believer, God has good intentions for you. If you are a believer, God is working all things for your good, right? This is good, good, good news. The church needs to be a place of joy and of celebration because we know who God is, right? Does that mean there's never a time for sorrow? No, right? There are times for sorrow and weeping. Jesus is called the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with our suffering. There's no, no feeling that you, you go through that, like, that God is distant from, that God doesn't understand, right? He, he knows it. He felt it. He walked through it. 33 years here on earth, right? He voluntarily took up suffering. Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for everything under the sun, right? There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance, right? There is not a time for cynicism, though. There's not a time for cynicism, right? Because the Lord is coming, and he's ready to turn mourning into dancing, right? That's, that's what he's coming to do, right? But cynicism is, is the mourning that refuses dancing, right? It says, I'm, I am not going to change my attitude, right? Because there's no reason to dance because there's a reason to mourn. It's sorrow that refuses to turn to joy. Hmm. Let me just get to Nehemiah thing. You guys can read Nehemiah 8 later. It talks about the word of the Lord. <laughs> It's, a, it's, a, it's the word of the Lord about the word of the Lord, so, um, and how that brings joy. Check it out. It's awesome. It's also about camping um, in tents. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Cel- don't say no to celebration. Don't say no to celebration. Don't miss out. Um, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests right? At a time, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything's ready. Food's on the table. Let's go. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Facebook marketplace. Please excuse me. Right, and this one's not a scam. Still, another one said, I just got married. I can't come, right? Busyness, once again, wins out over spiritual disciplines. Once We see this in this whole series. Busyness is, is creeping out against the, it's, it's the rust on our, on our armor that causes them to be no good. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, Not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. There's not going to be any leftovers. 
<laughs> we're celebrating. This, this party's happening, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, does this tell the, what does this tell us about the Lord? The Lord wants to have a party. <laughs> the Lord wants to celebrate. The Lord wants to be with his people, right? He's got a table ready. He's got a banqueting hall, right? <laughs> That's what we're supposed to learn right here. We've been invited to celebrate, and we have the option to say yes or to say no. Um, the very next chapter of Luke, um, Jesus tells three different stories, all that end the exact same way. Luke 15, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The cynics here are doing the math, right? They're thinking is, is, is 1%, is 1% of the sheep really worth throwing a big party for? right? Is that really, there's a threshold, right? Of things worth celebrating that we all have, right? Things worth celebrating. And the Lord is saying that your threshold is in the wrong spot. The very next parable Jesus tells, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You think there's 7 billion people on this planet. One sinner is worth throwing a party for? The Lord is like, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Don't do the math. It's not about math. Jesus is celebrating. Guess what? Jesus tells a third parable to drive it home, right? He says a man loses his son, but that son comes home. And the man, what does he do? Throws a third party, right? <laughs> Throws another party. But in this story, there's actually a cynic that comes to him. And complains and criticizes the party, criticizes the celebration, saying it's not the right time to be celebrating. I've been here the whole time, right? That, that does not deserve celebration. Maybe, you, maybe you've had this attitude, right? When somebody else is a little bit too happy, you know? And you're like, I have not had my coffee yet this morning. You know, I am, I'm resistant to your celebration. You know, I'm cynical until the coffee is in and then I can celebrate, right? Right. Or, or maybe when you begin to celebrate, you feel the same thing from the culture, right? Pushing on you. All right. This week, (laughs) 
how can we build the spiritual practice of discipline and celebration in your household? Here's a couple of ideas. Number one, start putting it on the calendar, right? There you go. There you go. The save the dates were up there for November and December, right? Like put it on the calendar. I am going to celebrate this at this point. I'm going to celebrate this at this point, right? We do this at Christmas, right? A lot of people cynical at Christmas still, right? But it's on the calendar at least. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Easter, you think, ah, it's cynical. You know, all this, you know, no, like we're celebrating hope, right? Paul says if, if there is no resurrection, right, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, right? Because there's no hope, right? Put it on the calendar. In eight days from today, I'm going to be celebrating five years cancer-free, right? I'm so excited. I'm so excited, right? The Lord healed me from cancer that would have killed me. I, and <laughs> five years ago, right? It, but it's five years ago. Do we really need to celebrate? You know, I'm like, absolutely, right? You start to think about the worries of the day, though. Like, I'm still going to die someday, you know, my wife's going to die. My kid's going to die. My mom's going to die, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons not to celebrate, right? <laughs> you could say yes, or you could say no to the invitation to celebrate. That's right. Number two, thank God daily, right? Every single day you have an opportunity for little micro celebrations. Go, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my kids, right? Thank you for this peace that I have right now. <laughs> Thank you for this community of believers. Thank you for hope. Thank you for a second chance. Number three, celebration Sundays. Which Sundays are celebration Sundays? All the Sundays are celebration Sundays. Yes, we come here to celebrate. We come here to remind each other of the good news of the gospel, right? Preaching the gospel is not just for unbelievers. We preach the gospel, the good news to each other, and we celebrate it here every Sunday, right? Don't skip out on the party. Be here every week. Hmm. All right. Those are just a couple of ways. Um, can we stand up for a second? Um, if you're here and you're not a believer in God, I have good news and I have bad news. Um, the bad news is, like, your cynicism is justified, you know? Um, there, is a, there are reasons to be negative and pessimistic. Um, I, I truly believe if you are not a believer of Jesus Christ, you are on a wide road that Jesus says is headed to destruction, right? The future does not have hope for you right now. The tragedy and disappointment is only going to increase. And so that hard shell makes a lot of sense, right? And I, I don't, I, it's not my heart to come up here and to, to you know, um, rag on you for a coping mechanism that makes logical sense, you know, like that, yes. But here's the good news. There is hope, right? There is, you can change your direction, right? You can change from going heading towards destruction to heading towards life and light and, and hope. <laughs> there is joy available, right? There's joy available. Your mourning can turn into dancing. 
Your sorrow that you're feeling right now can turn into joy. It's really, really good news. The son of God came because of his great love for us, came down, bore all of the sins of humanity, took our guilt and our shame, everything, right? And died, physically rose again so that we can spiritually and physically rise again. And so now we are people that have hope. And if you're here, you don't believe in the Lord, but you're looking around and you're seeing people with hope. You're seeing people that are like, amen, praise the Lord, right? You're seeing in people's eyes, there's hope and there's freedom and there's life. Like you can have that same hope and freedom and life in your eyes, right? You can do it. You can repent of your sins and, and have a brand new life in Jesus. It's good news. In the front up here, we're gonna have people um, who can lead you in giving your life to the Lord. You can have a brand new life this morning. And I would ask you, don't wait. If there's something in your ear that's telling you, like, like you should just wait. You can do this at any time. Listen to the other cynical voice in your head that says, you're going to die, you know, and, and get up here, you know, and, and have new life in Jesus. It's totally worth it. Like, it is wonderful. All right. I'd like to pray this over us today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would fill this church with hope overflowing. God, that we would learn to habitually celebrate who you are, to celebrate what you've done. God, that cynicism and pessimism would have no place among your people. God, and that we would shine a bright, bright light to the world that needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Woo. Thank you for preaching the gospel to us. This was a really awesome time to celebrate. And um, yeah, let's just apply this in our life this week. He gave us some practical things to do. So let's be faithful and do that, church. Sound good? All right. Well, as we dismiss, the prayer team, as he mentioned, is available. Come up for any prayer need that you may have. We'd love to pray with you. And um, with that, you're dismissed. We'll be back here next week and continue this series. I'll be sharing the sermon next week. And so go do and be Christ in your community.